Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the Movie Brats Podcast. I am Carter and joining me as always is Jonathan. How are you doing, Jonathan? Excited for the upcoming Oscars this Sunday. Yeah, after a lot of anticipation and uh, conversation about it, the 91st Academy Awards are finally going to take place on Sunday. So we're going to start off this episode with a preview of the, the awards and do some predictions for the major categories. And then after that, we're going to uh, sort of do a deep dive into Steven Soderbergh's latest release, High Flying Bird, which was released earlier this month on Netflix. But uh, first, we're going to talk about the Oscars. So uh, to start off, Jonathan, what are you most looking forward to on Sunday? Seeing if it doesn't just explode, because it seems like everything has gone wrong in the last few months. To the we still don't have a host. They're they're going on with the ceremony without hosts. I know they've had the controversy about not including four of the categories uh, in their full, but now they've backtracked. They were originally going to what they said was they're each year they're going to uh, vote and have four categories that we're going to rotate, and they were going to have them air they're going to do it during the commercial and then edit that footage and put it later in the ceremony so they'd cut out them like walking to the stage uh Uh, i think what they should do is cut out the shorts and combine the two sound awards and either cut out the songs or do a melody where you have all five of them a little bit of of five different performances that each take up four minutes with an introduction yeah and And a lot of the times the songs aren't even very good they're just like movie songs I mean, when you used to have 30 musicals a year, it made more sense. But now when you have two musicals a year, maybe mm-hmm. it's often they nominate films that nobody's heard of or, or songs you know, that play doc- over the co- closing credits or something like that. Or it, it seems like <laughs> half the time it's a documentary like RBG's nominated this year and will be uh, one from a you know documentary about climate change, you know, some <laughs> hippie singer singing. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, but no, I... I I don't mind it when it's well. It's going to be interesting to see who's going to perform. They say Queen is going to perform. Uh, <laughs> supposedly, Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper will perform, but he, but he, Bradley Cooper is going to perform as Bradley Cooper and not his character. Yeah, <laughs> which is a real shame because I saw that video of them doing the thing in Las Vegas together, and when it's just regular Bradley Cooper, like the song doesn't have nearly the same sort of effect for me, which is a little weird. I um I loved when uh. <laughs> Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara performed uh, from A Mighty Wind. One of their songs was, and they did it in character. Oh, obviously, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I mean, the Oscars are stupid and they don't really matter and they've always been that way. But I always watch them. Oh, and yeah. it's, it's not like the MTV Movie Awards. I mean, it, there is some credibility. Mm-hmm. Like they, you know, half of well, the What's the tradition are, of it? You know, it's like, it's been around for such a long time. And it, yeah. And long ago, it did a pretty good job of awarding Best Picture. Not necessarily every year, but... um. I think in general, I have this thing. I think in the last decade, they've gotten in a little bit better because in my mind, you used to have Around the World in 80 Days win Best Picture and The Greatest Show on Earth, and now you have... Yeah, I was just seeing that yesterday. The Greatest Show on Earth beat Shane and The Quiet Man, which is, like, (laughs) inconceivable, like, thinking about it back from today, but... Well, a lot of times they think back in the day, a film that was the biggest production that employed the most people and the most craft would win. So even if, I mean, I always say that whatever won the year 12 Angry Men came out, 12 Angry Men was probably a better film, but 
it's such a simple film. Yeah. But it's like a play uh, that's just like on camera, basically, not like a giant Technicolor production. That yeah, I sort of I mean, see what you mean there. That definitely but, explains like around the world in eighty days, because <laughs> otherwise it like makes no sense that it won. And I actually like that movie, but it's just like you know, it's trivial. It's a very throwaway kind of movie, but I mean the fact. Picture. The fact that a black and white Spanish language two hour and 15 minute period piece that has a lead that's never acted in a movie before is probably going to sweep the Oscars when Best Picture is a good thing that a foreign language film has never won. Uh, there's only been two black and white films in about 50 years that have won. I know it's The Artist and then before that Schindler's List and before that The Apartment. Yeah. Uh, 1960, so. right? Right, so that's almost 60 years now. Yeah. But that uh, is actually a nice place to jump off from to start uh, our predictions and preview. So for Best Picture, let's go ahead and start with the predictions. I think it's going to be Roma. And It, it sounds like you think so as well. I think it will win, and I think it should win. Um, I, I don't realistically... I mean... It, I can't see Green Book winning, but that's the second place. That's the only other one that really has a possibility. I feel like the next, like the third, have like three films. I say Star is Born, Black Klansman, and The Favorite. I I can't imagine Black Panther or Vice or Bohemian Rhapsody winning Best Picture. (laughs) Yeah. But I I just think that it will be the first, both black, uh, it will be the first foreign language film and it will be the first streaming film because it's the first streaming film ever even nominated. And in your dream world scenario, you have Roma winning Best Picture. Well, in my dream, I would have first reformed. <laughs> well, out of but... the nominated movies. <laughs> Correct. I would. Um, I, I know this doesn't make sense to some people, but in my top ten of last year, Black Klansman is the one that has the highest rating, but I still would vote for Roma. It's like oh, yeah. the year that The Tree of Life came out. I, it was my second favorite film of the year, and the South Korean film Poetry was number one, but I would still vote for the tree of life for best picture. Uh-huh. You know, it just, it, I know it doesn't make sense in a you way, see but it is a more deserving kind of movie. Right. It's like poetry was like the best film of the year, but yeah. uh tree of life should win best picture. You, yeah. you know, it's, it's like my, or maybe I could say it's, I think the one that works the best, but tree of life isn't perfect. So yeah. Roma is a wonderful film. It should win. I think the only thing that hurts it is that it's streaming. And I think there might be yeah. some people that will not like it that and uh take points off they'll vote it lower because the best picture is the category where they rank they do it yeah uh and so the idea is that the one that has the least detractors will win not necessarily the one that people love yeah because so someone could have black panther one and roma eight because they haven't seen it so that like alters it or I think the other thing that helps Roma is that there's been a lot of European and international directors added in the last few years, and I think that more than would vote for Roma over Green Book. Mm-hmm. And whether it deserves it or not, Green Book has a lot of detract. There, there are people that yeah. have, you know, co- they feel that there's controversies about it. And then on the other hand, there are many older members that really love that movie. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to vote Green Book number one, and a number that are going to vote it as one of their least favorite. And then almost everyone's going to put Roma in like the top three. Yeah. Yeah. Roma's probably going to win. I'd like to see the favorite win. That's like sort of, you know, dream scenario for me. It's not going to happen, but something like that I think should be rewarded. Like great director. 
taking on a script he didn't write. To, it's a very collaborative sort of movie, and it really works. And I just really like it when a big collaborations like that actually come together. Like it was announced a long time ago. The script was written twenty years ago, and it just comes together so perfectly. Like a lot of people think, or you know, really big film stops think only all tour movies are like worth seeing. Like only if it's John Lucadar or Michael Haneke or something like that. But I like seeing when a big collaborative effort ends up being a really extraordinary movie and the favorite really for me ended up being that and i don't know i like i think that's true to sort of the academy awards you know what i mean that like a big collaborative production wins best picture but well the favorite is that and yet it's absolutely in ottawa yeah <laughs> film there is yeah. no no one else could have made the movie the way he did it i mean yeah that's true but the fact he didn't write the screenplay and you know, it's a star vehicle for someone like Emma Stone. Um, not necessarily a star vehicle in the way that like Bohemian Rhapsody is for Rami Malek, but it's big stars. It's an expensive production. Uh, it's not the way you think of like you know John Luke Godard's latest movie that like is inaccessible. Like, and it's far more accessible than something like Killing of a Sacred Deer or you know Dog Tooth. Sure, or... Dog Tooth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it, but one of the strengths of the film is that it works as a collaborative effort <clears throat> you have the three leads he, you know he didn't write the screenplay but it also completely works as a yorgos lanthimos film mm -hmm. so that's one of the yeah i it's it's in my top 10 of last year so my the three films that were nominated for best picture uh that were in my top 10 were black Klansman, the favorite and roma so um yeah but to me it's Roma's gonna win it should win uh, best director i think alfonso Cuarón's gonna win if he doesn't, Spike Lee. But I mm. think what they'll do is they'll give adapted screenplay to Black Klansman, so Spike Lee will win a competitive Oscar. Oh, he's uh, uh, he wrote the screenplay. He's nominated for that too. Yeah, he's one of the nominees. Uh, so okay, yeah. I think that I think that. Uh, I think gonna Spike Lee's going to win. I really it do. Because Quaron won for he won for Gravity, right? Yes. Gravity didn't win Best Picture, but he won Best Director. Um, Correct. So I could see that sort of happening where Roma wins Best Picture, Spike Lee wins Best Director. Like, that sort of happened recently. Like, uh, when uh, Life of Pi won Best Director, Ang Lee, who won Best Picture that year? Uh, 12 Years a Slave, was it that no, year? No, 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 that was the Gravity year. I don't, oh, yeah. can't remember. It was somebody Argo. else. Though. Yeah, it was Argo, yeah, yeah. Because he wasn't even nominated. <laughs> yeah, <But> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I mean, it's I, to me, there's no way it's going to be anyone... It, Besides Quran or Lee, it's going to be one of those two. Yeah, it's not going to be uh, Pavel Pavlikovsky or Yorgos Lanthimos, and it's not going to be Adam McKay. So yeah, um, I the think... rest just don't make sense. It's going to be Spike Lee or Quaron. Quaron's definitely the favorite. Right. I think that we were talking about you wanted the favorite to possibly win Best Picture personally, but the, even the BAFTAs, there was an idea that it could win because it's so British, but mm -hmm. it won the most awards, but. It went, uh, Roma won Best Picture even at the BAFTAs. So uh, I think that it's this Roma is just. It's like a juggernaut. <laughs> it I can't mean, there's stopped. no other. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, the thing that hurts Spike Lee, I mean, Oscars, you never know what's going to happen, but I don't think Spike Lee's won Best Director anywhere. He's nominated all yeah. over the place, but I don't think he's ever. Like all these award ceremonies, I don't think he's won any for Best yeah. Directors. And that a lot of people him. might see the nomination as being enough, as uh, annoying as that is. And and the fact though that he's never been uh, nominated for best director, maybe they'll feel like, oh, no, you know, we're going to vote for him. Like he really, yeah. 
and even though people have this idea, some people that he's this argumentative uh, rabble rouser, like he, he, in a way, he's become like an old guy in the film industry. He's in his early. 60s. In a way, he's very mainstream. Like a lot of his favorite movies are like Bridge on the River Kwai and stuff like that. <laughs> well, it's it's funny too that I I saw someone write on Twitter that if you looked in a crystal ball and you say Spike Lee made a film about a black police officer infiltrating the KKK and it will be the least controversial in film of the Oscars, you know, the, you know, you wouldn't believe it, yeah. but he made a very, uh, it, it works so well because it's a very entertaining mainstream film, but it's also a really pointed, uh, smart Spike Lee film. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's both. And gets but across yeah, I, like pretty, now I wouldn't say like extreme political messages, but very important and very, uh, point- poignant yeah but it's not preachy and it never becomes preachy the whole time you're watching it right well um, so i think that balance like i would love to see spike lee with best director and i i can legitimately see it happen like it would be an incredible moment of like the oscars that would be like you know that would be the moment of the evening if we saw spike lee deliver a best director speech i'm just like I want to see that so badly. Like, I just want that to happen so bad. Because Quaron's is going to be so boring. <laughs> it's going to be like, oh, Roma's a very personal movie. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, I think that it's quite likely Quaron will win a few awards that night because he's nominated, I think, mm-hmm. in four categories. Um, but I think Spike Lee, I, I think he'll probably win an Oscar. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it'll be for adapted screenplay, though. Okay. I think that, uh, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't be shocked if he wins best director. But I still think uh, Roma is so masterfully directed, and it's it's so incredible yeah. that even something like Black Klansman, it's it, like that's a, not that you know it's an easy film, but it's mm-hmm. it's compared to Roma, it looks like a very easy film to make. Yeah, it, it does. It's like compared to Roma, it's like oh, this is a popcorn movie, and it's not. But Roma's just like so serious and. It's so just such an would, Oscar kind of movie. Who would you vote for your personal personally? Oh, Spike Lee, without a doubt. Yeah, I would vote for Alfonso Cuarón, and if I were if I could pick from anyone, I would vote for Paul Schrader for a first. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you have a chance to vote for him later. So uh, yeah. we'll move on to Best Actress here. Um, I think Close it's yeah, Glenn Close is going to win. This has become like <laughs> I think they've actually called off the betting for best actress. I might not be right about that, but that's what I heard. It's like such a lock at this point that it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Glenn Close will win best actress. <laughs> right. I think that I I yeah, I mean the idea is the Olivia I still Clinton haven't seen the Lady movie Gaga. either. Oh yeah, well, I I I think there'll be plenty of people that will vote for it that haven't seen The Wife, but <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> It's one of those films that keeps popping back up in theaters, uh, in multiplexes, because she keeps winning awards. So look for it. It might be playing near you, uh, if it's not now, starting this Friday, because everyone thinks she's going to win. Uh, but I, I personally would vote for Olivia Coleman for the favorite, but I would be completely happy, like right neck and neck, I would be totally happy with Melissa McCarthy winning, because Can You Ever Forgive Me was my second favorite film of last year. But it's... Yeah. If it's not close, it's probably Lady Gaga. Mm-hmm. Um, but did you see that she's broken off her engagement? Not that that's really important. Lady Gaga? Yeah, she was engaged to a guy that was about 15 years older than her, and they just broke up recently. Oh, man. It's she didn't jealousy her... over Bradley Cooper. She just wants she Bradley did... Cooper so bad. <laughs> she, didn't, uh, she didn't wear her ring to the Grammys. Oh, really? Wow. Right. This is some and, celebrity um, gossip. Also on the point of gossip, did you see those pictures of uh, 
when Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper's model girlfriend were sitting at the table and she's got like her hand on his knee and Lady Gaga's just sitting there all awkward. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, it would be a great celebrity. It's like, you know, how Darren Aronofsky and Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, were, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, she got engaged or she got, she she's engaged now, isn't she? I don't know, but this is quickly devolving into. Her. Yeah, I don't, I don't care who um, who marries who, but no, it's um, who would you you think Glenn Close is going to win? Who would you vote for of the five? Have you haven't seen the wife though? But I have I not seen the wife. It's going to win. I think even if I saw the wife, I probably wouldn't want Glenn Close to win. Um, I would vote for Olivia Coleman also, which is a little weird because I actually don't consider her to be the leading actress in that movie. I think Emma Stone actually is. Um, so if Olivia Cohen was a supporting actress, that would be like no contest. She's going to win that. So I think that's actually kind of a little slip up on their part to put her in actress instead of supporting actress. But uh, she's incredible in the movie. It's uh, it's a very strange performance. It's funny, but it's also very tragic, and you really empathize with her. And it's a very difficult person to empathize with. You know, someone who's born into royalty and is the Queen of England with absolute power. But she's very pitiful in that situation and olivia coleman does an incredible job of just expressing just how <laughs> weird of a situation it would to be that person and how that would affect you psychologically it's an incredible performance i mean i haven't seen the wife but i can't imagine it's better than olivia coleman in the favorite the wife is a really solid film and glenn close is a great actress but it's just a very showy performance it's quiet at the beginning and it's it's a film that's made to have a clip from it oh, be yeah. put at the Oscars, so that she'll sort of like Oscar. Julianne Moore and still Alice, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean it, Julianne Moore should have won for something. Not that that still Alice isn't a good film, but in that it's not a great performance. But yeah. she should that year she should have won for Maps to the Stars, the really <laughs> dark, dark David Cronenberg satire. But um, usually the Oscars. You know, it, the thing is, Glenn Close will win mostly because not the film, but because she's never won before and that she is the most nominated living actress that's never won. Yeah, it's sort of like an embarrassment that she hasn't won it yet. So <laughs> and she's not going to get another opportunity, like, to be frank, like, I'm surprised that she's nominated at all. I, Glenn Close was not near the front of my mind when thinking about who was going to win Best Actress, you know, before the year started. So the fact she's in this position at all is kind of amazing. So <laughs> they're not going to like let it slip away and have Glenn Close not win an Oscar. It's embarrassing. One thing I was thinking about is that I'm glad there's that movie that came out um, called Father Figures that mm -hmm. she was in. It just got horrible reviews. Oh, with Ed Helms? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if it came out like in January, if it would like Norbit her Oscar chances. Probably not. But... Or if she like won the Razzie and the Oscar in the same year. I know, but uh, so that's that. The idea is that Eddie Murphy lost uh, the Oscar for Dreamgirls because Norbit came out. Oh, really? Yeah, the, 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 there's a term like Norbiting your career, or Norbiting oh, wow. your Oscar chances, because he was like the front runner win for yeah, Dreamgirls. Yeah, I remember that was a really like sort of shock when he didn't win. Yeah, but um, I do think that uh, yeah, there's it's not close. That Glenn Close, you know, she's going to win. So did. But okay, yeah, so also Melissa McCarthy, I would love to see her win also. She's not going to because it's one of those situations where, you know, the nomination is an award unto itself for someone like Melissa McCarthy from a comedy background. But she really is extraordinary in the movie. And it's a role I could not see anyone else doing as well as she did. 
especially the original Julianne Moore. <laughs> yeah. In the yeah, original. Yeah. It just but, wouldn't have uh, been the same movie. <laughs> okay, for a best actor is the one category of the main ones I have not seen at Eternity's Gate. So I will abstain from saying what I personally would vote for. I would say that from every hundred plus film I saw last year, I would vote for Ethan Hawke from First Reformed. <laughs> Um, but I think that it, I think that Rami Malek's going to win for Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, I really do also, which is a real shame. Cause <laughs> I mean, just thinking about comparing him to Bradley Cooper in the star is born. They both play rock stars, musical performers for the movie. Rami Malek lip syncs the whole time. <laughs> Bradley Cooper learned how to play guitar for four years to like be at a level to achieve like the image of being a rock star. I think it's crazy. They're going to give the award to the guy that lip synced the whole movie compared to the guy who <laughs> literally did everything possible to make his performance as authentic as it could be. Um, and you just saw Bohemian Rhapsody. What did you think of it? I thought it was awful. I mean, it's like, thought- it's an entertaining spectacle of a movie, but the fact that it's, nominated for i don't know was it six or seven oscars is insane it's like it's like the most like chopped up incoherent kind of movie like at this budget and this release and this wide of release the fact that it's like as awfully made as it is is shocking to me and it made 700 million dollars worldwide i'm literally just like baffled by it. it it i don't think it's it's terrible. It's just really bland, and you've seen this movie before. And it's a Wikipedia it's, page brought to life. There's nothing interesting right. about it. And I'm not someone who usually goes, oh, this movie isn't realistic. It doesn't stick to the truth. But it bothers me. As little as I know about Freddie Mercury and Queen, they made a PG-13 biopic about a guy who was extremely gay and did a lot of drugs. And it, it you know, it does it deals with the sexuality, but... In a weird I, way, I thought, though. Like, they sort of tie it directly to, like, the downfall of the band. Him, like, exploring his sexuality, which I thought was very weird. And it's like, you know, he glances at a trucker. You know, it's like... Oh, yeah, and then the camera zooms in on a bathroom door closing, and it's highlighted men. <laughs> I thought that was, like, the least subtle... One of the least subtle moves I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> It's yeah. I mean, I I wasn't bored watching the film, but it's just a no. Very, it's entertaining. Yeah, and it's it, it, you know as as far as like bland biopics go, it, you know that yeah. there are movies like Ray and Walk the Line that are very standard, but those are very good films. Like, yeah, I, and they're not amazing, but they're they're but solid. They explore films. the psychology of the singer in an interesting way, and, and we I just never get any sort of glimpse into Freddie Mercury's real like thoughts in the movie. That that's the, my main problem with the film is that it's all surface and yeah. all wigs and fake teeth and I can't I know that part of it is like you, you they really did dress and look like that but I, it was all artificial to me. Yeah, no Robbie Malik's performance is like an impression. It's not like him, you know, but as like cliche as it sounds, it's not him becoming Freddie Mercury and inhabiting the role. It's just like an impression of a famous person. I uh, yeah, I just. I, I, the only I'm getting very heated it, about Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> it, I, it's just ridiculous that a movie like that gets nominated for Best Picture. It is a lock to win Best Actor. It's a lock. Like No, no. I think the, the uh, Christian Bale could win, but I think Rami will. It, I think it's a lock. I, I, I can't see anyone else winning. and I, That makes me so sad. 
<laughs> um, Christian Bale is incredible as Dick Cheney. Like, that's somebody, like, becoming the subject that he's trying to portray. Well, here's a question I was going to ask you. I don't think Vice is a great film. No. Should, when you're voting for someone like Best Performance or Best Makeup, like Norbit was nominated for Best Makeup, is it? should you just think, is the makeup good or should it also play into, does it work with the film? Like, I, for instance, I don't really like the film Beginners. Yeah. I don't think it's a very good film, but Christopher Plummer is wonderful in it. Ending, I yeah. was glad he won. I mean, it's like, I don't, I think, Christian Bale gives a good performance, but the film's not great. Yeah. No, I think when considering, like, best actor or best makeup, as you, like, put it out um, as an example, should be considered separate from the movie itself because <laughs> it's not like the makeup artist has any control over, like, the editing or anything like that. And, you know, Dick Cheney can do as incredible of a job as you want, but if the director or the other actors don't perform up to standard, it's not going to be a great movie. Um I mean, there's been, I'm trying to think of, like, a great acting performance in a bad movie. Um, but it's definitely possible. Oh, I, I have a controversial, uh, I've never really liked Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, <laughs> but I think Gene Wilder gives one of the best performances in cinema history. No, that's a I, good example, yeah. I, I, I actually am the weird person that likes Tim Burton's film better. Um, it's definitely it, truer it's, to it's the not- source material. <laughs> Yeah, um, but I I just think that Gene Wilder is so wonderful in the film, but I just yeah. think it's this kind of clunky. Yeah, and it's a pretty not, corny movie. <laughs> right. But anyway, uh, what uh, you've actually seen all five. Uh-huh. Uh, which would you vote for of the five? That's really tough. It's between Christian Bale and Bradley Cooper. Um, and just because Christian Bale has already won, I would probably vote for Bradley Cooper. I was actually just re-watching A Star is Born. Uh, before we started recording this and he's just incredible in that movie um and the movie's not perfect but <laughs> bradley cooper's he's just awesome it's i think it's going to be you know the role of his career i can't ever imagine him being better than he is in a star is born so i would like to see him rewarded for that well i i don't want to pick from the five nominees because i still haven't seen eternity's gate but i would I would vote for Ethan Hawke for First Reformed. He yeah. should have been nominated. He should have been nominated over either Viggo Mortensen or, or Rami Malek. Yeah, you still haven't seen Green Book. I, I like how someone <laughs> on Twitter wrote, uh, you know, Viggo Mortensen is good. It's also the thing, comparing it to Bohemian Rhapsody, how, you know, you have to have the teeth and the wigs. and yeah. you, it, it, They look distracting. You know, Viggo Mortensen's performance in Green Book is basically, hey, you're breaking my face. <laughs> it's like that's how the guy really was so even if he's being completely realistic and portraying the character it's like like a caricature of an italian guy (laughs) i know it's it's like a simpsons character almost but (laughs) fat tony uh, well he's 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 more subdued you know Uh even that character but yeah it's um and i love vigo morton he's one of my favorite living actors but um i i'm i'm just I think that Green Book is only going to win. We can go to Best Supporting Actor. Mahershala Ali, I think, is going to win. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I've seen all five of the... Th- I would definitely want it- uh, Richard E. Grant to win. Yeah, that's the same for me. And it's think- sort of like Lynn Close, where you're putting a capstone on a very worthy career. But this is a role that really deserves it also. So just like thinking of both of those storylines, like looking at these nominees, Richard E. Grant for me is like... I mean, because Sam Rockwell's already won. Mahershala Ali's already won. Adam Driver will get his chance down the road. Um, Sam Elliott, 
<laughs> it's sort of an overrated performance, honestly, in A Star is Born, because he's kind of just being Sam Elliott. Um, but Richard E. Grant is unbelievable, and can you ever forgive me? It's That movie's very dependent on him and, uh, and uh, Melissa McCarthy just, like, killing their roles, and both of them really do. It's interesting that uh, all of them but Sam Elliott are based on real people. Um, but I think oh, that I Richard think about that. <laughs> well, I read somewhere that like 16 of the last 20 best actor winners were playing real people. Hmm. Uh, that, that number might not right be, be right exactly, but it's like, you know, well, even uh, just looking at this, <laughs> this year's nominations, four of the five are, are real people. Yeah. The there's actor. been so many years in recent years where four of the five nominees, uh, were based on real people. There's wow. like been so many in a row. I really didn't even think about that. It's yeah, a very it's weird back. trend that they dishonor people if they like have something to compare them to. <laughs> yeah, and even even like Bradley Cooper uh, is the one you know he's kind of based on real like yeah. not like a real but he's influenced by real artists. Oh but... yeah, like uh, Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam and stuff like that. So uh, Sam Rockwell should not be nominated. He goes no, an that's like the, the sort minutes. of being based on a real person. It's kind of the whole reason he's nominated. That, like the fact that it's George W. Bush and they're like, oh, he's doing a good George Bush. I remember George Bush. Oh, my gosh. That's a good George W. Bush. Like aside from he's barely even in the movie. Yeah, I know. It's like a two hour and 15 minute movie and he's in it like 11 minutes. I heard. Yeah. He's in like maybe three scenes and the last scene he's in. He like barely does anything. He's just like a pawn for Christian Bale, which I guess is, you know, a performance. But um, I, it's interesting that the favorite is the shortest of the eight nominees for best picture and it's 119 minutes. They're all like t- between 119 and like two, uh, the longest one I think is like two hours and less than like two hours and teen minutes long, you know, yeah. 15 or 13, all, all like almost all the best. Picture Black nominees. Panther might be the longest. I think that's like 220. I'm uh, I can look it up real quick on Wikipedia. Okay. It's, um, but I think uh, Mahershala Ali is also going to win. So I think we're right. in agreement on that. That Mahershala yeah. Ali will probably win, but we'd both like to see Richard E. Grant. Right. Um, and I actually think Richard E. Grant has a possibility. Yeah, he's. I would say he's the second. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, it could be a shock, and cause it'll be like Sam Elliott will get like career award, but <laughs> I just think the film is uh, you know, not going to do so well at the awards. Yeah. But what about Best Supporting Actress? Um, I was looking over this and this to me is a very weak category. Um, yeah. I, well, I would vote for Rachel Weisz. That would be my yeah, pick. Yeah, I think it, my pick would be either Rachel Weisz or Emma Stone. I'd kind of like to see them tie. I don't know if you could do that in the Oscars. I think you can. Yeah. But yeah. I know they do that at like the Cannes Film Festival and stuff like that. Like or I know for uh, Blue Barbers. is the Warmest Color, the two lead actresses both won Best Actress. So, well, um, <laughs> I'd well, like to see a three-way tie for Best Actress for the three people always, for the favorite. Well, the, with Camp, I mean, it's like they chose to have them. But it's not like you know, well, I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's but, sort but, of a weird Oscar- example because it's apples and oranges, but you know. But the Oscars, Barbara Streisand and Katherine Hepburn tied for Best Actress. Oh, okay, one that was for like Funny Girl and The Lion in Winter. If my trivia right. brain works. And just a few years ago, there was one of the sound categories that won two. Uh, was t- it was tied? Okay, so yeah. But, I'm going to put anyway. Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz tied, Best Supporting Actress, book it. It's going to happen. It's what I what want people, to happen. What people are saying is that Regina King is the 
front runner and that if she doesn't win, it's probably going to be Amy Adams because she's been nominated so many times and not won. But the thing that I, yeah. of all the films she's been nominated for, Vice is like, it's not a bad performance, but it's just not worth her winning her Oscar for. Yeah. She should win it for something better. Yeah. And for me, it's sort of weird. Regina King was the actor picked out of If Beale Street Could Talk to be the one nominated for an Oscar. Because it's very much like a, a I, what do you call that? I'm brain fart right now. Where everybody well, sort of uh, it, uh, pulls their own weight. Oh, you're <laughs> saying, it, um, oh, I know what you're saying. It's, it's, it's not a character piece, but an no. ensemble. Yes, yeah, an ensemble. I think if Beale Street Could Talk is very much an ensemble kind of thing. Where each character gets their moment to shine. So, I, I don't know. I find it kind of weird that Regina King was nominated. And that, that it wasn't nominated for, like, anything else except for maybe Score when it was my favorite movie of last year. So Well, adapted screenplay. Yeah, adapted screenplay also. So, I'd like to see Regina King win. I think that'd be cool because I loved If Beale Street Could Talk. So, to see that win an Oscar would be really cool. And I think she is going to win, but I would like to see <laughs> a tie between Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz. And... Oh, man. If that happened, that would just, like, make my dreams come true. Uh, I think that uh, the the thing that hurts Regina King is that she was not nominated for SAG or BAFTA. Uh-huh. Uh, and people, I mean, people make all these connections, but, like, there was a year where Sylvester Stallone was nominated for Creed and people thought he was the front runner, but he also wasn't nominated for BAFTA or SAG, and then Mark Rylance won yeah. for Bridge of Spies, so... You Which know, was pretty shocking <laughs> when it happened. Yeah, I mean, I, I never thought I would want Sylvester Stallone to win an Oscar, but I would have voted for him <laughs> in that category. But um, so just real quick, the actors we think it's going to be Rami Malek, Glenn Close, Mahershala Ali, and Regina King. Mm-hmm. We, we're all in agreement on what we think will win. Yeah. It's almost like um, consensus at this point. It's kind of annoying that it happens like that. I wish there were more surprises, you know, during the ceremony. I Which, think Glenn Close is uh, the one that's the biggest lock of yeah. the four, and then next would be Mahershala Ali. I think I might I mean, say I Rami Malek is the second biggest lock. Like I still, he's I won still, every I still, acting award. I can't remember one that he didn't win. Well, there's been a well. Ethan Hawke's won a lot of the critics awards, yeah. but he's not, I mean, and Christian Bale's won a number. He won the okay. Golden Globe. I mean, Rami Malek well, won one musical, too because yeah. of different. Yeah, yeah. But I, I still or no, Christian Bale was comedy. That's so weird. <laughs> Christian Bale won for comedy and Rami Malek won for drama. I was like, what? Yeah, yeah <laughs> I yeah, totally well, forgot that that happened. Yeah, it's it, the Golden Globe. Well, Bohemian Rhapsody won best drama. Yeah, is, the Golden Globes are just a joke. I totally yeah. forgot that that happened. Oh my god. <laughs> well, um, in the screenplay categories, best original screenplay, we have the favorite, first reformed, Green Book, Roma. Mm-hmm. and vice i would obviously vote for first reformed i think that this the is favorite... a tough one to call actually yeah uh what do you think's gonna win i think first reformed is gonna win um... i it would be the, it would be the longest time since a film won best screenplay and that's the only nomination the film got it's been forever i don't yeah, know when last this time is just, this is a weird category Roma being nominated for best screenplay for some reason i find it weird because it's such like a visual movie. Oh, I remember a few episodes ago that you said, oh, I think it's going to win this category. Well, I, I might have said that, 
But yeah. like, th- I rewatched Roma and just like I can't remember a single line of dialogue from that movie. What it it feels like it's not written. It feels like you're watching real life. Yeah, it's just I don't think of that as being a screenplay. Um, yeah, Vice isn't going to win. Uh, I think it's going to be the favorite uh, or Green Book, uh, but I think it's going to be favorite. Yeah, the favorite because it uh, it either tied for the most. Nom- yeah, it's tied for the most nominations. So yeah. it'd be weird if it didn't win anything in it. So screenplays like seems like a you know logical sort of choice for it to win. And I so. don't know why, but it wasn't eligible at the WGA, the Writers Guild, hmm. uh, so it didn't win. But yeah, both the film, well, the um, it was a real shock that Best Original Screenplay went to eighth grade at the WGA, which wasn't even nominated. Oh wow, that's a really um, good choice. Um, right, and can you ever forgive me one adapted screenplay, which was also a surprise. Okay. Um, but I would definitely vote for First Reformed, but yeah. I would be happy for the favorite to win. This is like I this this is a very tough one to call. I really don't have a good sense of who's gonna win this. Um Which would you vote for first? I'd vote for First Reformed. Yeah. It's incredible. That's, it's an incredible screenplay. I just want to see Paul Schrader after crime up on stage. Oh, uh, uh, I, uh, <laughs> uh, this film's game, you know. I look yeah. he needs to do a voice he needs to do voiceover work. He has such this raspy old <laughs> like Hollywood voice. Um, he sounds like the guy who wrote Taxi Driver. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's always said that he wrote Taxi Driver so that he wouldn't become Travis Bickle. I've, I uh, mean, hearing about like the the stuff he was doing when he wrote that, that is not surprising. <laughs> oh, I mean, he was like driving around drunk with a gun in his car. Yeah. <laughs> you know, originally he wrote the script that it was going to be him killing only black people. And I the mean, studio was yeah. like, yeah, we'll have riots in the theater. We're yeah. not doing that. So he tells... Uh, you know a, a range of people mm-hmm. but um anyway the, i i would love to see him win it's crazy that it's his first nomination ever i mean it's an incredible screenplay it's like i mean it could work as like a novel it's just amazing so i think uh, it can win like it's not outside like it's not impossible i think space. it has a better chance than uh roma or vice i think it does too yeah um green okay, book probably best... will win <laughs> actually now that i'm thinking about it yeah, it's like, yeah, but it's like not a very well written screenplay. That's one I, of the weak. Like the performances are what make the. But like, are the people who are voting on it really thinking about? Oh, this is like a great screenplay. They're like, I liked Green Book. I'm going to vote for Green Book. Well, um, what a, a, an adapted screenplay. The nominees are The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Black Klansman, Can You Ever Forgive Me, If Beale Street Could Talk, and A Star Is Born. I think that it's going to be Black Klansman because that's where I think Spike Lee's going to win his Oscar. That's what I, I'm predicting. Okay. This and is I, also a pretty I tough would, one to call. I would, vote, I would vote for Can You Ever Forgive Me myself. I'd probably vote for Can You Ever Forgive Me. It's a very witty screenplay. It's really good. Um, but yeah, Black Klansman, Spike Lee winning makes sense. Ballad of Buster Scruggs is not winning. Um, it's sort of weird. I don't weird. think is going to win. <laughs> Or if Beale Street could talk, I don't think those three. Yeah. I think it's 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 either Black Klansman or Can You Ever Forgive Me. The only way I see a Star Is Born winning is like a pity vote for Bradley Cooper because he's not going to win Best Actor and he wasn't nominated for Best Director. So, but anyway, I think about it like Best Adapted Screenplay. They're voting for like the person, not necessarily the movie. Um, in terms of Spike Lee for Black Klansman and a Star Is Born for Bradley Cooper, but Black Klansman's a very good screenplay, so. That would be a very deserving winner. 
Well, we don't need to go through all the other categories, but I would just like to mention that I saw the all three of the categories of the shorts this uh, weekend, the animated, documentary, and live action. And I, I, who knows what's going to win? It's so hard to predict those mm-hmm. because uh, it, it's... It, I mean, you know, Kobe he, Bryant won, for Christ's sake, last year. <laughs> who saw that coming? <laughs> right. It's like Richard Burton, zero. Kobe Bryant, one. You know, it's like <laughs> Oscar... But um, I, I'll just say that if you go to see them, uh, the animated are nice and pleasant. You know, they're cartoons. But the live action, four of the five are about dead children or kids killing other kids or kids in peril. And oh, one's about an old lesbian. But uh, <laughs> it's so depressing and, like, just punches you in the heart. And uh, I Who think... Who nominates I, these movies? Like... <laughs> They're good. I mean, they're good. I'm not saying they're bad. I know, but, like, they're, like, picking this, and like, oh, man, this is great. Child murder. Love it. <laughs> well, I uh, the I think my favorite was the first one, which was almost the whole short was one shot, and it's about a mother who gets a call on her cell phone from her young child who's alone on the beach, and her father went off, and he doesn't know where... The kid doesn't know where the father went, and the mother's trying to keep on the phone with this a child, and the phone is losing battery, and Ooh. it's very intense, but it's just... That's an interesting shot. premise. <laughs> right. And um, there, and then the second one's about a kid dying, sinking in quicksand. And like, oh it God. almost looks like a post-apocalyptic world, even though there's not any, it's like these feral kids running around and it's, not, it doesn't say when it's set, but it feels like, why are these kids running around and it's shirtless, like in rock quarry? <laughs> um, but uh, uh, the documentary are also super depressing. You have one about racism, about a black kid who moved uh, with his family out of London and they went to a more rural area. And mm-hmm. he was called the N-word and beaten up. And he had to like he started dyeing his skin lighter and putting blue contact lens in to fit in oh with the God. racists. And they kind of started accepting him. Oh, my God. Uh, and then the next one is about people. Was that Black dying. Sheep? I'm looking at it right now. Black Sheep. Yeah. Wow, and then Endgame is about people in their final days uh, dying in a hospital or in hospice care. Um, then you have one called, uh, and then you have one called Lifeboat that's about all these uh, migrants dying, trying to you know go from Libya to Europe or something, you know, Holy traveling. <laughs> and then you have a night. Okay, okay, it gets better. And then you have A Night at the Garden, which is uh, um, footage of a 1939 Nazi rally in America, in Madison Square Garden Holy in America. Shit. And 20,000 people attended. Yeah, and the American Nazis. Um, and then the last <laughs> oh my one. God, these are crazy. Yeah. Um, and also, I'd like to point out that Fox News refused to air an ad for that uh, documentary short. Oh. but. Uh, MSNBC and CNN did. Their uh, argument was that they weren't going to show any ads that had Nazi imagery in it, but they did air an ad for that idiot filmmaker D'Souza, or whatever his name is. He does the Hillary's America. You know that guy? <laughs> yeah, Dinesh he, D'Souza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a film trailer that had Nazi imagery, and they aired that, of course. But no, <laughs> they don't want to upset their base of people. You know, their their grandparents were the ones at the rally, probably. Um, <laughs> And then the last one was actually the most uplifting, even though it's about menstruation and women in India getting pads. But it's uplifting because they're going forward. And it's good feminine health care. I know. World it's country. Scary. <laughs> that they is good. That, That's the first they, good thing I've heard. <laughs> I know. It's scary. They had like they said at when the film was being shot that like only 10 percent of women in India use proper 
like pads and tampons like they would just it's use not like surprising. and that's yeah, something you don't really think about that's sort of what you think best documentary should be about something like that that really never crosses your mind but it has some importance um i think i would vote for black sheep maybe that was very powerful it sounds like it just the description i was like holy shit um but uh the and then the animated shorts there was one that was before incredibles 2 it was called uh, called bow um and uh there was a really clever one called um animal behavior it was about a bunch of animals in therapy um uh, i i really liked one called weekends that was about a kid that goes back and forth uh between his parents over the weekend and it has no dialogue it was really beautifully animated but anyway uh a lot of theaters have the uh, shorts. I mean, not a lot of theaters, but you know, your art house are probably if they're going to play it, they're playing it now. Mm-hmm. So they're always worth seeing. Um, but yeah, uh, do you want to mention any other categories real quickly? Things you wish would win? Or... Uh, I wish Cold War would win Best Foreign Language Film because why it... give Roma Best Picture and Best Foreign Language Film? Um... Well, it, that's the thing that doesn't make sense is that they like there's you know obviously if a film should win Best Picture of all the movies, it should also win Best Foreign Language Home, but the idea is you want to spread the love. Yeah, exactly. And I like Cold War better, although I really liked Roma. Cold War is amazing. Well, um, Burning was my favorite foreign language home of last year, and it was, it was not nominated, yeah. But um, um, it would be cool to see, um, I don't know, I'm just looking at, well, it, it, it would be history if Alfonso Cuaron wins Best Cinematography because a director's never won that category for shooting their own film. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I'd like to see all the stars win Best Original Song. Seeing Kendrick Lamar win an Oscar, <laughs> it would be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, um, I need. I haven't seen. If Bill Street only... could talk, has to win Best Original Score. If anyone else wins, it's like I, I'm gonna just turn off the TV because that score is unbelievable. If you haven't heard it, look it up on Spotify. It's like the most beautiful music you've ever heard. It's amazing. Yeah, I've only seen two of the best documentary features this year. I need to catch up, and it's surprising the Mr. Rogers one wasn't nominated. Uh, I don't know what's going to win. I, w- I would think maybe Free Solo. Free Solo, I think, yeah. had the biggest sort of buzz about it. Right. But and that... the thing about RBG is that people love her so much, but the film is very standard. It's 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 a fine film, but it's not it's not amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just sometimes you feel like they vote for a film for what it's about, rather than is the film actually worth it? You know. Yeah. Oh, um, totally. Yeah. Um, well, I'd love other... to see Black Landsman when editing. That's an incredibly edited movie. Um, what, is, what is nominated? That was a weird category. Bohemian yeah, Rhapsody. which is one of the worst edited movies I've ever seen. Um, uh, it's, um... <laughs> Vice is really, it's very uh, showy in its sort of editing style, so that makes sense that that was at, uh, nominated. The Favorite's like, okay, it's a good movie, but it's not like, you know, it's anything special in terms of editing. Um it's just it's it's crazy crazy that like Christopher Robin and Ready Player One are Oscar nominated films <laughs> yeah. and like Burning wasn't yeah. or uh, Leave No Trace or even or... like a very you know pop culture mainstream kind of movie like uh, let's see if I'm totally shitting myself when I say this okay it's not nominated for anything well, is crazy, crazy Rich, Rich Asians yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I haven't got like that should be a production design nominee or you know costume or something. Right. Well, since you're such a big fan of Cold War, which would you vote for? Would you vote for for cinematography, or would you vote for Roma? Oh, that's really tough. <laughs> it's like a, the battle of the foreign or, language or black and favorite. white movies. Yeah. Um, yeah. The favorite's yeah, well, really the favorite is all the natural light, 
which I know is very difficult, and they uh, shoot it beautifully, like very comparable to like Barry Lyndon in terms of using natural light and capturing it beautifully on camera. So I I like how one person doing an interview with the director nominees said that uh, both Roma and Cold War are black and white foreign language films by streaming services and about the director's parents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they all, they all it's, line up. it's amazing that they were nominated. And even if, you know, Robbie Malek's going to win best actor and Glenn Close is going to win best actress, at least <laughs> Cold War and Romo were nominated for best director. And at least Romo's probably going to win best picture. That's the saving grace of this Oscars. Um, I swear to God, if Bohemian Rhapsody wins Best Picture, which I saw an IMDb poll of like users of IMDb, obviously they're not Academy voters, but Bohemian Rhapsody was barely behind Roma in terms of votes for Best Picture. That shook me to my core. Well, I mean, I I love my mom, but her she really liked Bohemian Rhapsody. She and and I mean, she doesn't have you know an attachment to Queen or Freddie Mercury. There's a there are many many people that really love that movie. Yeah. Um, but a lot of critics don't. It has a, a like a in the forties on Metacritic. Yeah. On Metacritic, but people love it. Like people yeah. love Bohemian I, Rhapsody, and it's you I know it's, it's a feel more... good sort of movie. So I get that. Um, yeah, I think it has a real like... possibility to win Best Picture. No, I think it's like the the like seventh. I mean, uh, I wish it was, but <laughs> like Green Book and Bohemian Rhapsody are like this specter in the back of my mind that like one of them is going to win Best Picture. It's going to kill just, me when it happens. I just think that there are too many intelligent, film-savvy people in the Academy that will vote Bohemian Rhapsody as one of the bottom films. Oh, I hope so. I, I think there will be a handful. Of, there'll be a, a percentage that will put it at number one, but there'll be many more that will vote it towards the bottom. I can see as many putting it as number one as Roma number one, and that's what scares me. So hopefully more oh. people have Roma two or three. I mean, like, Paolo Pawlowski is not going to vote I for... know, but for every one of him, there's, you know, this brainless best boy who gets to vote, you know. There are so many Academy members, and so well, few of them see all the nominees. I saw um, there was something about Gwyneth Paltrow is an Academy voting member, and they were like, how many Oscar-nominated movies have you seen? And it's like three. She's seen, like, Bohemian Rhapsody, Black Panther, and something random. But, like... The average Oscar voters like that. They don't see all the movies. I think you should have to see at least 50 films from a year that, you know, even if they're not the actual nominee. Well, I think, I mean, like when I said I didn't want to pick for best actor because, like, I don't think you should vote in a category unless you've seen all the nominees. Yeah. But that, I wonder how, what percentage has seen all the nominees for every category. It's like, I know there's, I know there's people like John Waters who like is very serious about his voting. Like he's, he'll vote whatever he wants to vote for, but he's going to, you know, he sees all He's going to do his due diligence as an Academy member. I remember one time he said he went to a party and someone as a gag gift brought him a VHS of Rocky and he threw it out the window. He was so disgusted by it. And I remember he taught, I know this is blasphemy to you, but he says that like his least favorite director, he hates David Lean. Like, it's just like the worst example of like, feel good, like feel good. Well, I mean, his movies are like, uh, just like the most mainstream, like Oscar friendly, you know, it's yeah. the best possible version of that, which is why I love it so much. Oh, any, any other final thoughts on the Oscars? Um, 
I mean, I'm interested to see the train wreck of the the lack of a host. I think that's going to be very entertaining. Um, I mean, like, I mean, there there are a hundred people they could pick that are not controversial, oh, like yeah. Bill Hader or Pat Oswalt. <laughs> Bill Hader would be fan. Fred Armisen or get back Whoopi Goldberg or uh, well, Billy. But Crystal. the Oscars have in their mind it has to be you know like an A lister. It can't just be anybody. So they have to host a late night show or be you know a stand up comedian who sells out Madison Square Garden. It can't be Bill Hader or Fred Armisen, which is just stupid. Who, if if you could, you know, whether it had any, you know, possibility of happening, who would you love to see host? I'd love to see John Waters host the Oscars. He's, <laughs> I mean, that'd be good. I mean, to someone who's a cinephile, obviously, Bill Hader would be really good. Do um, impressions? Yeah, exactly. He would be a great host. Uh, I don't know, someone like John was- Mulaney. I was seeing that um, it's funny that, you know, there's all this controversy recently about the, all the people in Virginia and blackface. Mm-hmm. Like like five years ago, Billy Crystal was still doing um, Sammy Davis Jr. in the Oscars <laughs> opening, which like I don't want to get into that, like the whole thing. about, But like Sammy Davis Jr. liked it and thought it was funny. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, does he get a pass if the guy he's making fun of? You know, I don't know. But yeah. anyway, like. I feel like even if people wanted to have him back, they'll be like, oh, he did blackface five years ago. Billy Crystal was canceled, just like uh, John Wayne was today, (laughs) post-mortem. I don't think think Liam Neeson is going to be hosting. No, neither do I. Or or presenting. But You want to talk about John Wayne for a second? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Okay. Shitty person with shitty views, great actor. Yeah. Well, not a a great movie star. Yeah, I mean, I think he has more you know range and uh he he's he's not just one note no and he's excellent in the quiet man one of my favorite movies um i was just on turn across movies recently yes, and, and i, I was loving watching that it's great yeah um, i saw someone saying now this will irritate you i haven't seen the film but i heard someone writing like that film is like so uh you know in the me too era it's so like <laughs> i mean yeah it definitely doesn't work today. Like the the main romantic lead of John Wayne literally has no choice whether she gets married or not. So yeah. it's, it doesn't exactly work in 2019, but it's a great piece of filmmaking. And John yeah, Ford I mean, doing stuff in color, like some of the most beautiful shots you'll see in a in a Technicolor movie is The Quiet Man. But uh, and also, others? like that was very late stage John Wayne. Like he was like mid 70s like obviously he's going to be a senile old racist <laughs> like what are you surprised by <laughs> well I, I have this thing about if someone is you know over 100 years old like not saying if they're still alive but if yeah. they were over 100 years old there's something about them that they were like racist or sexist or they obviously, didn't yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a given it's like, even if i can know, just... they're nobel prize winners for like peace they're a racist yeah. <laughs> like... I, well... I mean, I just, I, I just imagine we're going to get, I mean, I'm a super lefty liberal, but I, I just imagine we're getting to the point where there's going to be people are like, Abraham Lincoln, he didn't speak out about trans rights. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. going to be like that. Or, you know, James Bond needs to be a transgender, disabled, blind Muslim woman in a wheelchair. You know, it's like, it's Otherwise, gonna get... it's not inclusive. <laughs> I know. But, uh, but anyway, I don't think we, uh, we've pretty much talked about the Oscars. You want to talk about High Flying Bird, which we yeah, both... We'll turn away from the 2018 and look at a very contemporary movie uh high flying bird it is steven soderbergh's latest movie written by terrell alvin mccraney who wrote moonlight also and it is a really extraordinary screenplay um but yeah available on netflix uh i'm looking at its imdb right now and it has a 6.3 which i find very low i guess we'll just start sort of giving out our 
our overall judgment on it. I really loved it. I thought it was... It's a movie that has so much talking in it. There's so much dialogue, but it moved at a really nice pace, and I was entertained the whole time. Um, for someone, it's... The premise of the movie is there's an NBA lockout and an agent played by Andre Holland is trying to basically get his client uh, paid because he's a rookie and he doesn't have a contract with the NBA because it's a lockout, so he's not making any money. So the agent just tries to get the lockout ended as soon as possible and do the best for his client. And uh, I don't know. We can move on to what you thought about it because I'm talking enough. <laughs> Well, I like to say first that I am a proud sports bigot. I hate sports. I think they're stupid and I hate watching them. I don't get why people like watching them. I understand why people like playing sports, but there are plenty of movies that are about subjects I don't care anything about and I like them and this is one of them. I thought it was a very witty, sly film and to me, it's not really a sports film. It's a business film. No. And I was thinking of a movie during watching it that – and then I watched an interview with the actors and the screenwriter. And it's the first movie they mentioned. It reminds me a lot of – and they said it was – they were influenced by A Sweet Smell of Success. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And, and uh, it's a very talky film and it's very – I thought you were going to say Margin Call. No, no. Uh, well, you both have Zachary Quinto. Yeah, um, and they use a lot of jargon that's sort of inaccessible to someone who doesn't know about it. Yeah, I mean, I you know, know virtually nothing about sports. I don't know the guy at the end of the film that makes a cameo as himself. I don't know who that is. Um, oh, I didn't know who that was either. <laughs> yeah, but, um, I, yeah, I, I, I... Did you know who the three NBA players who gave interviews during the movie were? No idea. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. To I like mean, an I, average I, NBA fan, they're very recognizable people. And to me, like it was I, really cool that they were in the movie. Like yeah, Carl Anthony could. Towns is one of the people he's interviewed. He was the number one pick in the NBA draft not that long ago. Uh, then they also interviewed Donovan Mitchell, who uh, came in second in the Rookie of the Year voting last year. And it's just uh, they sort of give insights on what it's like to be you know a young person entering the NBA. And it it's a sort of interesting wrinkle because it's – interview footage spliced directly into like sort of not a regular you know dramatic feature but a dramatic fictionalized movie and they just inter steven soderbergh just intercuts these interviews with the actor or not the actors they're not actors they're basketball players <laughs> just within the narrative and it's i don't know it's really cool i'd never really seen a lot like it. I'm thinking uh, it's like Band of Brothers sort of does something like that. Well, uh, well, when Harry Met Sally does it, but those are That's real. True, those yeah. are actors, so. though. <laughs> yeah. um, but um, yeah, it's. Um, and it was I, shot on I, an iPhone. I don't think we've mentioned that yet. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that I don't. I I could maybe list ten living sports figures. Like I, <laughs> oh, I, yeah? I, I truly hate sports. Michael but, Jordan. You know who that is. Yeah. LeBron but, James. I mean, you, you know who that is. Who? LeBron James. Yeah, which I always forget which one's the rapey one and which one's like Kobe the cool Bryant guy. is the rapey one. Oh yeah, people are upset he won the but LeBron. Yeah. I I really like um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar because he's a big cinema uh, buff. Like, he's he, in he's, Airplane. He's yeah, in and he's the Bruce Lee movie. I can't remember the name of it. Yeah, uh, well he um, but no, he's been on like Criterion Collection. Like oh really? Yeah, like I know he writes detective novels. Yeah, and he defended Green Book. He uh -huh. wrote it called where he and was. He defending. lived during the era, so he can speak on it. But uh... is he that old? Oh, he's pretty old. Yeah, <laughs> he played. Yeah, but I mean, 
I mean, he was like a t- kid when you know in the sixties. No, no, no. He went to UCLA from like sixty five to sixty nine. So. Okay. Well, anyway, um, but but okay. High flying <laughs> shows or, how little you know about sports. <laughs> but I was just thinking, an airplane. He was super young, and that came out in nineteen eighty. No, he was like thirty eight, maybe forty. Yeah, I guess for sports he was old. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, um, sports are terrible, and I hate them. But the film's really good, and it shows <laughs> you how uh, the players. Uh, it's a. It's interesting. I, it's also I can compare it to Soderbergh's film, The Girlfriend Experience, mm-hmm. because they're about people, about uh, humans being, you know, labor and the yeah. commerce aspect of how people. It's have... very focused on the employer-employee dynamic and the power of the employee. It's a very black movie, which coming from Steven Soderbergh, I did not expect. But uh, I'm. Tr- Maybe Kyle MacLachlan and Zachary Quinto are they the only two white actors in the movie? Well, I mean, they're yeah. I mean, of the of like the main characters, yes, definitely. Um, I do think that uh, that you're talking about being shot on an iPhone. It, it's it, most you know most of the film you forget it's shot on an iPhone. Every yeah. so often there will be these tracking shots where it gets a little shaky, like mm-hmm. on the edges. Um, and also they didn't use any uh, artificial lighting. Oh wow. Uh, almost the whole film and there are scenes especially with them being african-americans where it, it's pretty dark mm-hmm. but it, it just it's an aesthetic choice and it's really interesting and you get some it, really cool shots where like a traditional camera just could not get the placement that the iphone gets because it's in such a small spot and they get like i've i've heard like i heard some interviews about it and apparently like getting permit to shoot in new york city is like crazy prohibitively expensive and they didn't have to do any of that because they shot it on an iphone so you get a lot of cool shots of like New York that you don't usually see in movies. And yeah, I was like, oh, I know where that is. That's yeah. Columbus Circle. And <laughs> I was, but um, yeah, it, it's. And they're interesting. just like people walking by, like it because it's an iPhone, and you know, it's not like a big set or anything like that. So it just feels very lived in because of the iPhone shooting, which was yeah. cool. What's interesting about the way it's shot is that it's 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 a paradox. It's kind of like the scenes where people are sitting and talking. It's very you know, you feel very close and you feel very attached to the conversations, but also it's so clear the picture in the background, like you'll see like the giant New York city landscape out the window. So like you're very pulled into the conversation. It's very intimate, but it's so it's like, because it's being shot on an iPhone, it gives it this like really, like you really feel like you're out in the world. Yeah. It was cool. I haven't, I was trying to think this might be the first movie I've seen shot on an iPhone. I know Just, he shot Unsane. Is that what it's called before on an yeah. iPhone? Yeah. And Tangerine was like really big when it came out, and people were like, look what the iPhone can do. But I never yeah. actually saw that movie. That was in my top five of that year. It was by the guy who did The Florida Project, Sean, mm-hmm. Sean Baker. But yeah, I saw his previous film, Unsane, in the theater, and I thought that was underrated. That's a nasty little dark horror film about a woman played by Claire Foy who inadvertently gets trapped in a mental institution and then won't let her leave. Um, but yeah, this movie, it, 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 Soderbergh, it's like, he can just turn these movies. I mean, almost like he's so inventive, but in a weird way, I think of him as like being an old school director, like Howard Hawks. Yeah. Or and that he's Ford. like a chameleon. He, any subject he takes on, he like really convincingly takes it on. Like he can literally do like any subject, like, like he can do a, you know, the oceans 11 movies, he can do magic. Mike can he do, do J part one. <laughs> right and he can do uh out of sight and 
you know, and he'll do a movie like Bubble, which had non-professional actors and set in a doll factory. You know, he just, you know, he'll do like a big giant movie with uh, giant movie stars. And then he'll do a, you know, a five hour biopic about Che. Mm -hmm. And then he'll, you know, shoot a movie on an iPhone uh, about, you know, basketball. And like I was saying, I don't think of it as a sports film as much as it is about it's it's a it's a film about business mm-hmm. and about the client and their you know it, it and it's it, sort of know, a like character he, study on Andre Holland's character. Yeah, um, and he's and he's very shifty and like mm-hmm. by the end of the movie you realize uh, you know he's really got he knows he's been he knows what he's doing the yeah. whole film. Yeah, he's but, got like the leg up on everybody else. It, that way, it is very much like a sweet smell of success. The more I think about it, the more it's like very much a homage to that movie. Yeah. Um, I also think that it, I, I just, like I was saying that Soderbergh, he just, he'll shoot a movie these days and he'll go home that night after the day of shooting and edit it on his computer. And then like the last day of shooting, like three hours later, he'll have a fine, he'll have a rough cut of the film. Right? It really is like, crazy. Like, and he, he already has another film shot. He has a one about the Panama Papers. Yeah. Which is like a big, you know, probably going to be an Oscar nominee. Yeah, <laughs> the fact that he made that in High Flying Bird in the same year is crazy. And yeah, I, there, I remember there was one year where I saw three of his films in a theater in a year. Uh, so yeah, it's I I just yeah I care nothing about sports, but it was a very smart. Uh, it just it feels like it it's it's so energetic, mm-hmm. even though it's a bunch of people sitting around talking almost the whole movie. Mm-hmm. It has an energy to it, and this uh, sort of brings. Uh... I mean, it's an example of the ongoing streaming versus theatrical release kind of thing. And I know you're a big proponent of uh, theatrical releases, but you were forced to watch this on Netflix. Um, But I really don't think this would have been that much better in a movie theater. Um, For as often as I think movies are much better in theaters, this kind of felt like right being on Netflix. Um, And I've heard him say that he was very frustrated by... Um, Logan Lucky in the distribution that that got and he tried to sort of release it himself in theaters and it really didn't do very well in theaters although it was a very enjoyable very fun movie that more people should have seen so he sort of wants to release it on Netflix just so it gets more eyeballs and although you know a movie is generally going to be better in a movie theater just so much of his stuff just doesn't get seen that it's cool to see it on something that gets a lot of eyeballs. I mean, it's crazy. He was the last director that he was nominated for two of the five nominees for best director for traffic and Aaron Brockovich. And he won for traffic. Yeah. And he has like a handful of movies that have made over a hundred million dollars. And then he has like 25 films that made no money or mm. very little money. And like Unsane made like $8 million or something. Mm-hmm. And I, I, he just tried to, he had a really smart, way of advertising and distributing uh logan lucky but the problem is it just didn't have enough advertisements like mm-hmm. he had a good idea but yeah I, I like the fact that he is so experimental and he, he likes to play with not just the film medium by shooting it different ways film and then digital and then iphones mm-hmm. but he also the way he distributes and what's interesting is the film is partially about that in the sports yeah world. it's about like Even disrupting and stuff like that and upsetting the status quo which was funny to see a movie on netflix sort of be about emerging media and stuff like that it was very it was a very nice synthesis a good marriage uh 
this really this movie just really doesn't feel like it belongs anywhere else um but i still I, every movie i want to see in a movie theater like yeah. there's no movie that i think would be better on netflix yeah. but do you I feel just, it was that diminished being on netflix at a home sort of experience no i just think that you know no you know like even though like i say most of the film is people sitting mm-hmm. and talking I, the, the, I like seeing that in a movie theater yeah. like i like to see little movies in a theater yeah. and i think I just the other thing too is like how many people are going to leave their house and go to a movie theater to see this movie? Like it's Nobody. a small. <laughs> I would because it's Steven Soderbergh. Yeah. I'm a completist. But that's the, that's what happened with Unsane, and that was so frustrating for him because you know you put so much work into a movie and for nobody to see it, that must just be like absolutely crushing. So. Well, he, I I always like to point to this interview he did on the Criterion Collection uh, disc of Che, where he said that he's not sure it was worth it to make that movie. He put so much time and so much of his own money in making this biopic and so many, it took so long to make. And he said that people, you know, whether they liked the film or not, but that people were just against him making like a nearly, you know, five hour movie and people were like rooting against it. Mm. And he questioned whether film matters anymore. He says that, Back in the late '60s and '70s, like films mattered in America. Oh, says, if, that, if sure. Jay was made in the '70s, that would have been such a big deal. Yeah, <laughs> it, but then I had a family friend that pointed out, well, maybe it's because he made it in twenty-eight, uh, you know, two thousand eight. Like, mm-hmm. why, you know, yeah, if you're gonna make a five-hour Jay biopic, well, the like, story behind that it was Terrence Malick was supposed to make it, and he developed the screenplay and everything. But as Terrence Malick is wont to do, he got flaky <laughs> and dropped the project. So Soderbergh showing the chameleon that he is took it up and made a really great movie. I really love Che Part One. Che Part Two is is super slow. I don't think it's as good, but Part I, One is awesome. It, it, I remember in Leonard Maltin's book he says something like, you know, the second part. It's a, it's the type of movie where it says day fifty two and you really feel it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, you feel that like half an hour in, you're like, I've been watching this movie forever. Yeah, you feel like you grow a new set of teeth. <laughs> yeah, um, your beard is going to be as long as Che's by the end of it. Yeah, that's a Mark Kermode line. His, uh, you feel like your teeth. Have, but you know, I, I, yeah, I really enjoyed High Flying Bird, even though I. But you know, th- that's not a criticism when I say that you know I don't care about sports because yeah. I always point to Moneyball. It's a movie about baseball and statistics, and I hate math and I hate sports, but it was one of my ten favorite yeah. films of the year. So and, and, uh, and like. I was going to say that, like, there's virtually no basketball playing in it. No, there really yeah. isn't any. Like, the the most basketball you get in it is uh, Andre Holland's character just putting up shots while he's talking to somebody, so it doesn't really count. And brief um, iPhone footage. Yeah, brief, very brief iPhone footage. Um, but I don't know. I sort of just want to talk on Andre Holland for a second, because this is the first movie I've seen where he's the lead. Um, he played... Uh, I can't remember the character's name, but he was a pretty important character at the end of Moonlight and was one of my favorite parts about Moonlight. Um, but he is an absolute star in this movie. Like, he is just so captivating and charismatic. Like, I thought he was incredible. And I really hadn't seen anything to, like, show that he's capable of something like that, of being, like, a magnetic screen presence. But he's incredible, and he's in so much of the movie. And he just like comes off as a star to me. I I thought he was incredible in it. 
Well, I was going to say that the way that Steven Soderbergh and him got together is that he was on his show, The Nick. And if you haven't seen The Nick, you got to watch that. That's one oh, of God. the best TV shows. In I've the heard world. the first season yeah. is like a really long movie. <laughs> well, I mean, Soderbergh said he was not going to make films anymore. He was retiring, but then he shot 20 hours of television, <laughs> yeah. uh, directed all the episodes, and it was amazing. Um, and and uh, Andre Holland was really terrific he and clive owen starred in the show mm-hmm. um but yeah he's uh he manages to he, he's very good at delivering the dialogue in high flying bird mm-hmm. it has that snappy you know where you, it doesn't feel like he's acting he feels like he's <laughs> that he's just like the smartest guy in the room and he and he comes across like that so easily he was I and mean, i couldn't take my eyes off him he was incredible Right. And uh, Bill Duke is in the film. That, uh, that was interesting. I mean, he's been in Predator and Commando, <laughs> things like that. He was in Mandy recently, the Nicolas Cage film. Uh, Kyle MacLachlan, uh, Agent Cooper himself, plays uh, the owner of the New York franchise and gives a very eccentric performance. There's a, One of the highlights is him in a, uh, in a sauna with Andre Holland. He's just in there to clean out his sinuses, <laughs> is what he yeah. says. Um, but he's really good in it. It's uh, I love seeing him pop up and stuff. He's become like I don't know, like he comes up in Portlandy all the time. He's like kind of like uh, I don't know, sort of like Bill Murray, how he just sort of pops up and stuff, and it's just like oh, it's Kyle McLaughlin. Oh my god, that's awesome. He was in the house with the clock in its walls last year. That the... <laughs> yeah, he can oh. be in anything, and he like I can't think of a movie where Kyle McLaughlin wouldn't be perfect. <laughs> He, he's he, he's in Showgirls even. Oh, I, know. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I, I I have seen like eight of Stoder, Soderbergh's films in theaters in the original release, and uh, I would have seen this in a theater, but uh, I watched it on Netflix, and I, I I recommend it even to people that don't care about the subject matter. Oh yeah, and it's only ninety minutes; it goes by like nothing. Um, if yeah. you have a Maybe Netflix subscription, gone. if you don't watch this, why do you have a Netflix subscription? It's like, <laughs> I can't think of anything new on there right now that's worth watching more than High Flying Bird. It's great. Um, Only if you haven't seen Roma yet. That's true. But Roma's yeah, been out for such a long time. The, th- the strange thing to me is I feel like there are millions of people that have Netflix. And I feel like very few people have seen Roma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's totally true. It's the most accessible of all the. I mean, not not you know. I'm In not terms saying, of like, yeah, able to view it. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, the I most mean, readily I, available. Like every American seems to have Netflix. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe I, two million people have actually seen Roma, if that. Um, I, it, it's just a movie like Roma, though. It needs to be. It should be seen in a theater because you need to be able to sit there and be engulfed yeah. with the images and not like. It, like to me, it feels like a very non-Netflix film where like yeah. you have to like go with it because yeah. it's like the first hour that not much happens. <laughs> yeah, I, and I didn't actually see it in the theater, but I can definitively say it would be better to have seen in the theater. Um, do you I, think it's going to be released in theaters if it wins Best Picture? I mean. Probably because that's custom, basically. Like if but, it wins best like, picture, like like every multiplex is going to play it, like every no, other best no, picture. No, no, no. But because th- at the end like, of the day, yeah. Netflix just does not care about box office. They make so much money. Like a bit. I mean, one of the main reasons studios re-release stuff is to capitalize on the buzz that comes from it. So you know, you release it in every theater, try and get more people to see it. But Netflix just does not give a shit if people see their movies in theaters. Actually, they would rather them not see it in theaters because then they're not watching it on Netflix. So 
Um, so it'll come out again, but it's not going to be, you know, in the same theater that's showing uh, Wreck-It Ralph or something like that. Um, which, well, you know, probably happened with The Shape of Water last year after it won Best Picture. Yeah, I mean, even a movie like The Artist, a black and white silent French film, that came out everywhere. Yeah. I mean, pretty much. Because, you know, at least one week, the film that wins Best Picture is going to come out. Yeah. But I don't think it's going to do it with Rome. I think some of the yeah. art house theaters uh, will still be playing it or they might bring it back for a week. Yeah. But I, I don't think any of like I think actually like Regal and AMC, like they, they, there's like an embargo or it's like they, they, they won't show the film. Yeah, because it's a but, Netflix thing. I mean, it's... yeah, there's a there's a movie theater near me, the, the closest one that's been replaying all of the best picture nominees, even Black Panther, which came out the earliest. Basically and, a year ago. I think it yeah, might be a year ago. <laughs> yeah, it came out in February. Yeah. Um, and but Roma isn't one of them. They're, they're not screening it. Yeah. Um and to me, it's it's the one that most should be seen in a theater. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. like, High Flying Bird, yeah, I think that fits on Netflix. Roma is a very weird fit for Netflix. Um, right. Which is, <laughs> makes it all the more amazing that it's going to win Best Picture. Because I'm c- thinking most of the people who saw it consumed it that way. And people were still very much impacted by it. So, I mean, yeah, go I down just, Alfonso just... Cuaron. Yeah, I mean, I I just, like we've said, I worry about the state of what's going to happen with movies, you know, if everything is going to go to streaming, that's not black Panther, you know, every big movies, you know, all the big movies will still play in multiplexes. It's going to get to the point where it's just small movies. You can't see, you know, no documentaries. were going to go to theaters, no foreign language films, unless it's, you know, you know, some rare exception, Mm -hmm. like a martial arts movie, maybe, but yeah, if we have another crouching tiger, hidden dragon or something, yeah, well, Ang Lee's doing a big. We we didn't mention this last on the episode about what's coming out this year, but he has this long, like this script that's been around forever. That's like about hitmen and artificial intelligence or something with Will Smith, Jim, Gemini Man or something like that. <laughs> that's Have crazy. you heard of it? No, I haven't. But Ang Lee just jumps yeah. all over the place in yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah, subject okay, matter. So. Okay. yeah, it's directed by Ang Lee. It stars Will Smith and Clive Owen. And the uh, it's uh, this is the only tagline the the plot line on IMDb and over the hill hitman faces off against a younger clone of himself. <laughs> yeah, so it's not artificial. I'm talking about clones. Yeah. Anyway, right. I didn't even, oh, I, that I, sounds you know. wild. Um, yeah, but anyway, uh, see High Flying Bird on Netflix. Go see the Oscar nominated shorts. Mm-hmm. Uh, go see Roma in a theater or watch it on Netflix if you haven't because it's probably going to win Best Picture. Mm-hmm. And probably next week, most of our discussion will consist of uh, Oscars recap, but maybe we'll uh, see something else and get around to I, a review. I will have enough. seen the new Godard film, hopefully. I probably uh, will not have seen that. <laughs> play anywhere near you. But also, uh, I, let's just say that after next week, we won't talk about awards for like a long, long, long time. Because oh, I, no, I get yeah. so tired of talking about the awards. Oh, yeah. uh, we, we can just basically do a little recap of what we thought of the Oscar ceremony. Yeah. And then... Uh, Interesting stuff will come out because we'll no longer be in the dumps of February where only crappy movies like Alita Battle Angel get released. So, <laughs> thank you for listening to us this week. We'll be back next week.